Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, November the 7th, 2022, 7 a.m. here at the Mance. How's that time change working for you? I tell you, it was amazing. This morning I woke up. Yesterday it was too dreary here, too uh, too stormy, cloudy, whatever to tell. But this morning, man, the sun came up early. Not really. Uh, we just had to change. But nevertheless, it's uh, it's nice. I don't know what you think about it. I mean, I hear people rant and rave about it all the time. Personally, I don't mind the time change at all. In fact, I wish they wouldn't fiddle with stuff. But anyway, the government, I, I think, is looking at these sorts of things. And I think there's a bill um, in the House to change it. And everybody said, yeah, that's fantastic. The problem is there's a bill to leave it as it is now. But there's also a bill to leave it as it was with standard time. And, Anyway, they'll, they'll figure all of that kind of stuff out. But it is nice to be with you this morning. I uh, welcome you, whether this is your first time, maybe you've been with us, who knows how many times. I think this is Daily Devotional 412. And some of you, I think, have been here with me the whole time, and I'm really grateful for that. I know one of them that has been here the whole time, and that is my mother, Kathy Malfris. She is down in South Carolina, but today is a special day because it is her birthday. So I'll be calling her later. She does not watch at, uh, at 7 a.m. She'll join later in the day. But nevertheless, I'll be calling her later to wish her a happy birthday and tell her just how much I love her and appreciate her and how she has been such a blessing to me and to my family. But happy birthday, Mom. Now, Let's get to it. Thank you for indulging me here. Now, we are in John chapter 13 today. We are making our way through. Remember what I told you the last time we were together? We went through verses 1 through 17, right? You remember John's like the roller coaster, tick, 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 and then it really takes off when we get to this portion. Well, that's the case. We're going to slow down some when we get to chapters 15 through 17, but 13 and 14 are rather quick. What we dealt with last time was the expression of ultimate love, right? Where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. We talked about cleansing. We talked about how this pointed to what Jesus would be doing for them as he hung on the cross, right? That they would be cleansed by his blood. Um, we also talked about this. This is really becoming like a, uh, well, not really becoming anymore. For a while there, it was looking like some churches would adopt feet washing uh, sort of like a, a modern day sacrament, right? Grace is not imparted in this. When Jesus said, you should do like I do, right? This is illustrating his role as a servant, okay? If you want to wash somebody's feet, that's marvelous. You know, that's great. But y'all, watch out for this kind of mindset, right? Where there's always been this thrust in Christianity. There's always been this push where we try to find something ultra spiritual, um, in God's word. And, and, and it results in some interesting things that come up. Maybe y'all remember this. Remember the, the prayer of Jabez craze back in the 90s, right? Bumper stickers, coffee cups, refrigerator magnets. Well, my refrigerator's right there. But anyway, refrigerator magnets, all that kind of stuff. And people just went nuts over it. I mean, they did. And, and uh, this isn't to take off on that sort of thing. My point is this. Be careful with the trends of Christianity, 
okay? Things that are ultra, ultra popular. People try to find a higher plane of spirituality through them often enough, and they end up really disappointed as a result. You know, there is no silver bullet. There is no magical path, nothing like that. If you want to be on a higher plane of spirituality, it's not even about a higher plane of spirituality. If you want to be closer to the Lord, Sunday school answer time, what should you do? Pray and read your Bible, right? I mean, that's the number one. If you want to be closer to God, talk to him. If you want to know more about God, read his word. Don't look for signs in the sky. I don't know if it was MacArthur who said it first. I think that it's been said so many times. I, I, I don't even want to attribute the quote to anybody. But if you want to hear the voice of God, there it is right there in his word. If you're listening to this on sermon audio, I just held up uh, my, my copy of the scriptures. If you want to hear the voice of God, read his word. But also, don't forsake the gathering together of God's people, right? Don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. It was Jesus' custom to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. It ought to be your custom to be in church on the Lord's day. This is how the Lord works. It's called the ordinary means of grace. It's the way that God ordinarily gives you the grace to make it through life, right? Don't look for some higher plane of spirituality and things that are popular. I said that it looked like feet washing was going to become the next sacrament. My goodness, for a while there, you saw it all over the place in Christianity. They were doing it at weddings, and I mean, it was just everywhere. And again, if you want to show your love to somebody by that, I'm not trying to dissuade you. Just don't turn it into something that it's not, okay? Jesus offered an example through doing this that we ought to follow. Now, this does bring us to an interesting point. Um, I want to pray first, and then I'm going to talk about what comes next, because um, there's a point that's often made regarding the washing feet that I think is also taken out of context. But let's pray first, and then we'll dig into what happens next. Our Father, please be with us in this time. Guide us as we come to your word. Help us to understand it, not just in an academic sense, but really, Father, in light of who we are, in light of our propensity, in light of our inclinations, help us to understand what is being revealed. Help us to see your son's sorrow as he contemplates betrayal. And help us to evaluate ourselves in light of that. Father, this is uncomfortable business, but it's necessary business. So please, guide us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so just before praying, I alluded to another feature, for lack of a better term, right, that is often brought out here, and a lot is made of it, okay? We usually see this around um, Good Friday, that sort of thing. Of course, we know the timeline here that Jesus has gathered together with his disciples to take the Passover meal. He's in Jerusalem for Passover. Yes, it's the highest holiday, or holiday. It's the highest holy day, right? It's the it's the highest celebration for the Jews. Passover represents their creation as God's people, right? It represents their freedom. For it was at the first Passover that ultimately that last plague befell Egypt. No Passover, no Israel. 
okay? It's not their 4th of July, but it's, it's kind of like that, right? So Jesus is there to celebrate this, but also Jesus has entered triumphantly into Jerusalem because he knows that he is going to die. So it's a very important night. He's taking the Passover. And people a lot of times mention this. They, they talk about the fact that Jesus washed Judas's feet too. You know, you see that on Facebook all the time. And if you put that on Facebook, I'm not trying to offend you or anything, but honestly, I don't even remember where I've seen it. So nobody is coming to mind in this, but a lot is made out of Jesus washing Judas' feet. But there is something important to remember, and that is how Jesus interacts with Judas. Um, what we don't need to do is take this idea of Jesus washing Judas's feet and somehow apply that theologically to the crucifixion. You know, there is something that we affirm, and it is called limited atonement. In other words, Jesus died for the sins of those who would trust in him. Jesus did not pay for Judas's sins. You want to know how I know that Jesus didn't pay for Judas' sins? Because Judas is paying for Judas's sins. And if Jesus paid for Judas's sins, there would be nothing for Judas to pay for. And forget about Judas. That's the way Christianity works. That's the way atonement works. Jesus died to pay for the sins of all those who would trust in God. Doesn't mean that his death isn't powerful enough to cover every single person's sins everywhere. But y'all, I've used this example before, right? It used to be um, the iron skillet right here, right? But lots of times I would meet Rob, um, Dr. Marsh, a physician in our church. I'd meet him at the iron skillet, right? And without a doubt, every single time he would pay the bill, right? The bill would come and he still does that. And now we meet at the deli down here. And anyway, great corned beef hash for what it's worth. But nevertheless, back to this, right? Um, when he and I eat breakfast together, he never lets me pay. Um, and, and, and so going with that paradigm, right? We sit down, we eat breakfast, they bring the check, he pays for the check. If I then go up to the cash register with my credit card out or with my cash, who am I kidding? I'm a married man. I ain't got any cash. But nevertheless, if I go up to the register to pay for my meal and Rob has already paid for it, well, th there's nothing for me to pay, right? I mean, the bill has been satisfied. Such is the case with Christ's atonement, y'all. If Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, that means there's nothing for you to pay for. And Jesus paying for your sins on the cross, we believe in limited atonement, but we also believe in unconditional election and irresistible grace, that if God calls you, he's going to have you. You dig? So anyway, we got to be careful with this idea of Judas and Jesus washing Judas's feet too, and, and Jesus dying for Judas too. What we're going to see in our text today, and I got to quit you know, talking so much because we got to get to it, but what we're going to see today is a very different reaction from Jesus toward Judas. Yes, he washed Judas's feet. Again, he said, you should do the kind of things that I'm doing. And I'm paraphrasing it course, but nevertheless, right? So let's dig into it. Now, this is after Jesus, um, well, look at verse 16 of John 13. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them, right? You will be blessed if you do them. And then immediately we pick up in verse 18, where we start today, 
And Jesus keeps on talking and he says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Oh, this idea of Jesus, the Jesus washed Judas's feet too. This does not mean that Jesus cleansed Judas. In fact, he flat out says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. You know, some people get all up in arms about Reformed theology, and that's, for lack of a better term, what this is called. Some people call it Calvinism. Um, I mean, you know, I guess that's fine. John Calvin realized, though, would not have liked us calling this Calvinism. The man had himself buried in an unmarked grave, okay? So, it, nevertheless, call it what you want to call it, but this idea that God chose us, not that we chose him, Right? We believe in election. We believe in predestination. We don't believe in ratification where God just ratifies the choices that we make. He's God. We're not. We're dead in our transgressions. We are made alive by God through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ alone. That's how this thing works. Right? So Jesus flat out says at the start of this, I'm not referring to all of you when he talks about the cleansing, when he talks about the blessing, all of these things. And he talks about the prophecy there, about the one who would betray him. And then he continues, verse 19, he says, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. As a side note, you know, we've just got to pause for a second. And, and try to process, try to appreciate Jesus's frame of mind, Jesus's mission. I've said this multiple times in this study, right? But I've said Jesus is a man on a mission. And is he ever? If you want proof of that, look at this. Jesus knows who is going to betray him. Okay? He knows what is going to happen as a result of that betrayal. And yet, what is Jesus's concern? Yet again, as he said multiple times throughout this, the last time he said it was with Lazarus, right? Remember, he said, oh, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And, and the disciples say, oh, that's great, Lord. Then John chapter 11, the disciples say, oh, that's great, Lord. That means he'll get well. And Jesus says to him, no, I don't mean that kind of sleep. I mean, he's dead but I'm happy for you that this has happened so that you may believe. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus keeps saying this again and again and again. All of these things are happening, right? Signs that are being offered, occurrences taking place. Jesus continually comes back to his desire that the disciples would believe. And guess what? That extends to you and me. So instead of Jesus trying to get his pound of flesh, Instead of Jesus saying, all right, Judas, I know it's you, and then taking him out right then and there, you know, he could have. He's the agent of creation. Nothing was created that wasn't created through him. It's not that he didn't have the power, but instead he is still focused on those that are with him, believing on him. Verse 21, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. 
And he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, y'all, there's something important to note here. As I've just said, Jesus' primary focus is still the mission that he's on, right? He's there to be the sacrifice for our sins. His desire is that his disciples would believe, but it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't deeply troubled by everything. And this is where we can only ponder, and you need to be careful with pondering, right? Talking about Calvin, he said the equivalent of where God shuts his holy mouth, I shall desist from inquiry, or desist from inquiry, right? In other words, where God shuts his mouth, we need to shut our mouth. So we need to be careful, but we can contemplate what must have been going through Jesus's mind as he considered Judas. Was it his arrest and betrayal? Was it the torture that was coming? Was it the cup of God's wrath that he would drink? Was it that? Or was it all the time he had spent with Judas? Was it the fact that Judas was part of the inner 12? We know that Jesus knew that he was robbing them the whole time. How he must have been grieved over this. But also Jesus exposes the real heart of a shepherd. Really, he does. He is troubled by the fact that Judas is about to do this to him. It breaks his heart. Now, I think that we can't just focus on the wrath that Jesus would drink in this, because I think that this really shows us God's heart. God's heart is on display in this, and that God is troubled. And we find this elsewhere in his word. We, and we find out things like it's his desire that none should perish. Right, You have God's will or character of will on display, and it's God's desire that all should come, but not all are chosen. It's God's desire that all would repent, but God has given some over to destruction. We know that from his word, but the fact that Jesus is troubled over this ought to show us, too, his humanity. It ought to show us the turmoil that he is facing as he goes about doing this. And yet again, this ought to cause us to appreciate our Lord, his love, how he functions. So after this, look, look at verse 22. It says, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned this to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved is John, okay? The one that is writing this is detailing what is taking place there. So we have a firsthand eyewitness account. And the situation isn't hard to understand. The disciples know that Jesus is deeply troubled. And so Peter's like, Man, he's, he's talking about being betrayed Aren't you going to ask him who it is? And we get the idea that John really does have an inside track with the Lord, an inside relationship with the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. It shows how close he was to our Lord. But nevertheless, John listens to Peter, right? Peter's not going to do it. Peter puts John up to it, right? And so, verse 25 again, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. 
Now, what are we to take from this? Well, first off, we're to take who Judas really is from this. That Judas is not really a follower of Christ. That Judas had not received the Holy Spirit. Y'all, we can get kind of sideways on this. Remember, there are a few factors at play that are not factors for you and me, right? The disciples had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. They have Jesus instead. As a result, the Holy Spirit is not indwelling them per se. The Spirit is present. But this is a different set of mechanics, I think, than what apply to you and me. The way salvation works for you and me is that when God saves us, he sends his spirit to dwell within us, according to Paul, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, as our helper, as the counselor, as all of these wonderful things that the Holy Spirit is that we're talking about now on Sunday mornings, by the way. But nevertheless, it's a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we have no need of fearing demonic possession doesn't mean that we will not face demonic attack. It doesn't mean that we will not face demonic affliction. In fact, I think there's a whole lot of that going on, and we could talk all day about that sort of thing, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Again, be careful running with principles and precedent set regarding specific groups at specific times. You have a specific set of circumstances with Judas here. And that specific set of circumstances is not only demonic possession. Y'all have heard one person say that when we are under demonic attack, we always get the intern, right? Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be in more than one place at a time. He has great power. I'm not, I'm not suggesting otherwise. We should take demonic attack very seriously. Please understand me. But Satan can only be in one place at one time. And what has been revealed here about Judas is he wasn't filled with a demon. He wasn't filled with multiple demons. It was Satan himself that entered into Judas so that Judas would do what he would do next. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. But we see something else here, and that is Jesus's reaction to Judas. As I started with, we need to be careful with this idea that Jesus washed Judas's feet too. Jesus died for Judas too, that sort of thing. Not only do we find at the very start of our passage, Jesus saying, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. But there's something else going on with Judas here. And this is what we will pick up with tomorrow. You see, when Judas, when Satan entered Judas, after Jesus revealed who his betrayer was, what do we find Jesus saying to Judas? Well, again, look at verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Y'all, as we are going to see with Peter, because the very next thing that we come to tomorrow is Peter's denial. You know, which one is worse, Peter denying Jesus when Jesus needed him the most or Judas betraying Jesus to those that would crucify him? You know, they're both horrible, but we're going to see there is a main difference between Peter and Judas. I'm not going to give it away, but we've seen Jesus's reaction to Judas. What you are about to do, do quickly, and then he sends him away. Guys, <clears throat> something powerful is at work here. And it's not only just prophecy that we're seeing fulfilled here. 
We're seeing God's character. But the part of God's character that you and I should focus on is that part that applies to you and me. Don't run with what Jesus did with Judas. That's a particular set of circumstances at a particular time. Instead, focus on what we see from our Lord. Focus on how he is grieved when we betray him, when we turn after our own ways instead of his ways, when we follow our own desires instead of his desire. And let that inform you today. Let that be your devotional thought. Are you being a Judas? And no, I don't mean selling Jesus for you. But really through your actions, through your beliefs, through what you're going to do today, through your priorities, are you a Judas? I think that's a good enough place to stop. You know, the scriptures are perfectly fine leaving us in, in uncomfortable spots. I think it's okay for me to do that every once in a while too. It's a good thing to think on. But I will leave you with this also. If your desire is to not be a Judas, but instead a follower of Christ, well then, turn to him in faith. Trust in him. If you don't know him, ask him to be Lord of your life, and he will. Write me on here or call me or whatever, and we'll talk. But if you've already done that, pay attention to how you are following him. Pay attention to what's going on. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for your word, for everything that it details for us, for the fact that John, as an eyewitness, tells us these things, even down to the details that he was reclining at the table. Father, give us ears that will hear, eyes that will see. Let us hear and understand. Work in our hearts in these ways. We thank you that your son completed his mission, and in so doing, purchased redemption for all those who would trust in him. Oh, that we would trust in him more and more, Father. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Wayne. Good morning. And there's Becky and Alice and the other Becky. And there's Monica. You know what? Somehow I knew that you would say that, Monica. That Monica and I are really, we are cut from the same cloth there. And then there's... Christine and Alice, and thank you for that, Alice. She will see that you said happy birthday to her. And then there's Rose and Elizabeth. Again, thank you all so much for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Until then, have a happy Monday.